No, I need to see your faces. It's very important that I see your faces. Because I can tell if you're if it's going in. Mm -hmm. If if you don't if you don't uh, if you're not understanding, there's a certain look. <laughs> you, you don't even you don't even know your face changes, <laughs> but I can see it. And then I know. Oh, I see. I, I need to say it maybe a little differently or repeat it in a certain way. Then maybe it will go in. How's the other look? Huh? How's the understanding look? <laughs> so well, we haven't. I mean, we, we're doing the text before we do the text. Anyway, uh, is everybody here? Let's see. I think we're. I think we're sure. Always, there's always a little bit too late. Yeah, we're doing the text before we do the text. In other words, we're we're. Providing the context to understand the text. And th this is why you can't read your way to uh, moksha. Yeah, if you have an extra, if you have one for me too, I'd. You have an extra one for me? I mean, uh, no, this, I had I needed yours. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> yeah, you need you need the context before you can understand the text. That's why you can't read your way to enlightenment. Because when you're if you don't have the, the big picture according to Vedanta, and and you 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 think you your your knowledge is the big picture. In other words, if you think your knowledge is as good as the knowledge of Vedanta, then you're going to interpret the text in terms of what you know. And you can't interpret the text. If you're interpreting the text, if you're, if you're evaluating and making a judgment about what the, the words mean, if you're doing that, then you're going to, you're going to get the wrong interpretation. You're not going to, because huh? your ignorance will twist the meaning of the words just a little bit, maybe. Or maybe you'll just not understand it at all. Or maybe you'll understand the opposite of what is meant, whatever. And you don't know that that's what's happening. See? It's unconscious. Your, your causal body is reading it. And the causal body is an interesting uh, function. You're unconscious. It operates on the basis of a principle called heuristics. And what heuristics is, it, it simplifies information. There's so much information coming in uh, to your, your mind, to yourself, all the time. So, Maya is presenting so much information all the time. That if you, uh, if you were aware of all that information, your your mind would just wouldn't work. There was just too much information to process, so your mind would shut down. This is what happens with psychosis. It's psychotic people. 
It's not that they receive all the information from Maya, but the filter, the heuristic filter is broken. Understand? And that, and that filter allows too much subconscious content to flood their mind. And they, they can't process it. So, so all psychiatry can do is basically stone them. They, they give them chemicals that, that dull, them, dull the mind down enough so that that information doesn't bother them. The information is still coming through, but it doesn't bother them much, and they can more or less function. It's a chemical kind of incarceration that, that uh, has been invented to not so, it, it does help the people who are that way in, in a certain sense. It's also harmful, but it helps the society and the people around because, you know, the society's got to look after these people and pick up after them and take care of them because they just can't, they just can't function in life properly. That's, that's the problem with it. So this heuristic function, it simplifies everything. So your, your subtle body, your conscious mind, which is a slow thinker, the causal body is a fast thinker. It goes <laughs> instantly, it, uh, it, it gathers all the information and it reduces it to a simple sound bite. It's just, it's far as like that. It's just the speed of light, it reduces everything to a simple sound bite. And then it passes it on to your subtle body. And then you can, uh, then you can function on the basis of that knowledge. But the problem with it is that knowledge is not tailored uh, exactly to the jiva. It's kind of generic information. It's not specific information that you can use. So what? So when you read the Vedanta on your own, that function is working there, and it's distorting a little bit huh, the information. So that you, the subtle body, the mind, huh, is getting... Huh, if you're reasoning on the basis of that information, you're not going to come to the correct conclusion. So we try to bypass that whole heuristic function. And we have to set up a context so that, uh, that and, and you should have that clear in your mind, the whole big picture. Then when you read something, you can look at the verse in light of the big picture and come to the proper interpretation or the proper meaning of the words of the verse. So you've got to become the Ishwara here. You have to become the Ishwara factor. Ishwara is the factor that creates the sound by Ishwara means your causal body, macrocosmic causal body. That information is good for everybody, more or less. It's not, huh? it's, it's useful. It can get you by, but it's not going to solve the problem because this is, you know, this this discrimination that we that we're helping you with, this ability to separate the subject from the object. So what you're going to do, we're trying to do, to get free and get to that appreciation of your non-dual status. 
that uh, that separation is very specific. It's thought by thought by thought. You can't just apply a template. So 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 every thought you have to look at huh, every every idea and every impulse and so forth you look at in terms of the big picture and evaluate evaluate the big picture. But to get the big picture, you have to be able to listen clearly without argument. Without arguing about it. You can argue with it once you have the big picture if you want to. That's up to you. That's We call that manana. That's the second stage of Vedanta sadhana. That's manana. It's on the, in the Upasana yoga section up here. So there you can work it out. You can look at what you believe in light of what you've heard, what, what Vedanta says is the truth, and then you can uh, contemplate on what Vedanta says, and then you can see whether what you think is the truth, and, and you can retain it, because it may be, you, you may have some knowledge. We're not saying you're ignorant, necessarily, but the problem is that ignorance and knowledge are all mixed up. See? They're all mixed up. So a lot of things that you think are knowledge or ignorance, and some things that are ignorance are actually knowledge. See? You don't, you're not really clear. So what we make, what, what the teaching makes clear is what knowledge is and what ignorance is, so you can what? So you can separate them. Because you don't want your, your life, your, your life to be based upon what? Insufficient or false knowledge. If you're like, because our, our, the whole point of, of spiritual life is to establish your life on a rational basis, <coughs> not on an emotional basis. That knowledge is something you can always count on. It's always good. Knowledge is always good. Feelings and emotions are sometimes good. <coughs> they're sometimes reliable. And sometimes they're not. Like, for instance, intuitions. An intuition is a kind of feeling. It's a subtle body function. <coughs> now, and you can have opposite feelings about the same person, for instance, can't you? When you fall in love, you can meet a person and you can see how beautiful and deep they are. Huh? You can feel it. You think, oh my God, she, she is so beautiful. He is, oh my God, I, he's just so pure. He's so deep. He's so amazing. And then later on, huh? <laughs> later on, you can get the feeling of the feeling what? Did I marry a devil here? <laughs> Did I marry a demon? Huh? I think he's a demon. And then you'll say, you've changed. That's why I don't love you. You've changed. But actually, he or she didn't change at all. 
what changed was your feeling. What, huh? That's all that changed. That you you thought because it was so intuitive and so well, so personal and so deep that it must be the truth. Big problem. So with Vedanta, once it's really clear what an object is and what the subject is and what the difference between the subject and the object is, then then, then you just discriminate on that basis. On the basis of, in other words, the scripture, not on the basis of your feelings. And that will establish your life on a what? On a rational basis, because life is actually totally rational. It's to from Ishwara's point of view, it's all cut and dried. Cut and dried means it's all clear. It's all just knowledge. The whole creation is nothing but knowledge. And knowledge is always the same. Is knowledge is what doesn't change, which cannot be destroyed or removed, which is in good in every time, in every place, and in every circumstance, knowledge works. Whereas emotions and feelings and intuitions and so forth and so on may sometimes work and sometimes they don't. So you need to know the difference. But before, before we actually enter the text, we try to help you with the context. And very often, you won't have a complete, you won't understand the whole picture completely, and you'll have a question, and you'll ask me, and I'll say, well, remember what we said two days ago about the this or the that? That's the reason you don't understand, because you're leaving out that fact or that factor. That, that's my job, is just to bring your attention back to the big picture to help you establish <coughs> <coughs> this big picture knowledge as what? As the basis for your discrimination. So when you get to Vedanta, what you do is out of your hands. Uh, and this is why it's dangerous for the ego. Huh? The ego doesn't want to give up control to the scripture and the guru. Now, the guru is not going to tell you what to do. If a guru tells you what to do, then he's not a guru. Okay? In our tradition, we do not say a guru will tell you what to do. They will never tell you what to do. What they will do is they will what? Help you to bring the knowledge to mind of the scripture. Because the scripture is the boss here. Once you've heard the big picture, then you can check the guru. <laughs> this is why what happens when people hear the Vedanta, they come to me and they say, oh, I was with this guru for a while and now I understand why I left. <coughs> they loved the guru, that was fine, but they couldn't get satisfied there. So they moved on, and then, then by God's grace, they happened to come to Vedanta, and then they heard the scripture, and they say, oh, now I understand where the mistake was, what the guru didn't understand. 
or what, you know, what some particular, now I see the fallacy in this kind of yoga or this kind of religion or in whatever it is. And see, now I see what the problem is. Because they're, they're looking at it uh, impersonally. And this, this scripture is impersonal. Because Ishwara or the, the speaker, the God that gives this, is not a person with likes and dislikes, with biases. God doesn't want anything for you. That's it's the interesting thing. Unless you tell God this is what you want. Then if God, if you tell God this is what you want and you do the actions that are appropriate to attain that result, then God will help you. <coughs> yeah. Otherwise, God's totally indifferent. This is why God helps the criminals as well as he helps the good people. <coughs> huh? A criminal puts forth a particular kind of action, and then Ishwar is what? Ishwar, or God, is, is compelled by the nature, by its nature, to what? To provide an appropriate response. Okay. I understand this is a difficult concept of God, isn't it? Because we've got God all, huh? We got God all set up as some kind of pure and holy being somewhere in some other place, huh? Who's all very wonderful and very nice and just loves everybody, loves them all to death, and wouldn't do a naughty thing at all. And and so this idea that uh, God facilitates evil actions as well as good actions, huh? Doesn't make sense. So if you don't, if it doesn't make sense, then what do you do with God? Then you create an alternative God, which is called the devil. See the duality that comes in? Then you have to explain away this problem hmm, by inventing a devil. Now, we've got our devil also, but our devil is called ignorance of God. <laughs> our devil is not an alternative force in the universe that's fighting against God. So there's a war going all the time. The devil is just ignorance of God. Now, ignorance of God is not in opposition to God. Why? Because it can be removed. Whether huh, it doesn't affect God. Okay. So, so we have to get this, we have to learn how to listen without judgment, we call it, with an open mind, without prejudice. You're full of, we're full of prejudices. We've all got our likes and then we've all got our dislikes. And so those, when you, when you come in the door, you should, like you leave your shoes outside to keep the carpet clean, you should leave your ego and your, present, your prejudices and your likes and you're just like you should put them there with your shoes and leave your mind clean when you come in here. And then what? Then we can put the teaching in it. Then, then the teaching, then you'll hear what we're actually saying. You'll, the meaning of the words will become clear if the mind uh, is just listening. Then later on you get to uh, then you get to uh, work with that information. 
with that knowledge. But you don't want to be working with it when you're listening to it. That's the discipline. Yeah, a disciple of Vedanta is a disciplined person. Disciplined person means what? They're, they're keeping their mind out of the picture for a little while. They know when the mind is trying to intrude and the ego is trying to co-opt the teaching. and Because a lot of people think, oh, oh, that's right, I know that. And they think, huh? oh, I'm really smart. I figured that out. Huh? Huh? They start building a, an ego on the basis of this wonderful knowledge that they're hearing. And that's not the way this is supposed to work. So we have to explain this big picture, which is what we're doing now before we enter the text. Ishwaro Gurameti Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyomavad Vyapta Dehaya Darshina Murtaye Namaha Sarva Vedanta Ziranta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam that's worshiping God. That's loving God. Those words are what? Invocations of the of the tradition of Ishwara. Sada Shiva Samarambam. In the very before there was anything. Before the world appeared, there was Sadashiva. Means existence, means consciousness, Chaitanyam, Anandam. Before there was ever a world was Chaitanyam. Chaitanyam means consciousness. And what? And Shankar Acharya Madhyamam. And in the middle was Shankar Acharya. Shankar, we don't have a picture of Shankar. Well, nobody knows what he looked like exactly. There's one in that new section down there in the, in the new kitchen. Did you see that? Mm -hmm. the, the fellow in the, all dressed in orange, he's a sannyasi and he has his disciples around him. You may have seen that. That's called Shankar Acharya Madhyamam. In the middle was Shankar Acharya. And Shankaracharya, he was the guy that, he was the self that appeared, what, as a person in the 8th century and who made it very, very simple and very, very clear what the scripture, what the original scriptures, the Upanishad said. He's, he's famous for a, a very, very simple statement. If you understand this statement, you're free. Just a very simple statement. Brahma Satyam Jagan Mitya Jivo Brahmeva Na Paraha. Brahma Satyam, Satyam means the truth or real, what's real. What's real is Brahman. Brahman means consciousness. 
existence consciousness. Brahma satyam. Sat means sat, reality, or what is, isness, your being. Being itself, or existence itself, is what's real. That means, what, what does real mean? We already discussed that. We've already defined real. Real is what doesn't change. Real is what was never born, and never changes, and never dies, and is always present, and always available. That's what's real. That's called Brahma. So Brahma Satyam, that's you. You, awareness, consciousness, bliss, is what's always real. Okay. Then the second statement, Jivo Brahmeva na paraha. Jivo means Jiva, the conscious entity, the conscious experiencing entity, is non-different from consciousness, from Brahman. Jivo, Brahmeva, na, not, paraha, not different. Na para, paraha. So there's no difference between that, the ordinary, ever-present, simple awareness, the I. We already discussed what that consciousness is, where that consciousness is available. There's no difference between the I huh, and what? That's experiencing here in this world and what? And the I that's hidden or beyond the world. It's the ordinary, every, huh? That I that's experiencing right now is limitless. Experiencing without what? Without changing. How does, how does that I, how do I experience? I experience huh, as a witness. Like the light. It's a good, light is just a great example. Because in the light, uh, in the say say you have a you go into a uh, into a into a theater, and you'll have a light that illumines the players on the stage, right? The the actors are acting here, and the light is here. Is is the light the light sees the people? It illumines the people, the players, doesn't it? But is it in any way changed by what the players are doing? No. It's like the modern TV screens. You don't need a, a screensaver on it, do you? Because the, the screen produces, uh, faithfully produces the image. Huh? Because why? The image doesn't get burned into the screen. Remember the old days you used to have a screensaver? Because if, if you left a picture on your, on your computer, for for a long time overnight, it would etch a little bit of line, a little bit of line in the. And then if you left another picture, huh, for a while, that would etch another little bit of line. So you wouldn't even see it really at first. And then if if over a few years, huh, huh, you you kept doing this, pretty soon you huh, the the light would be huh affected. All the other pictures that come up would be affected by the fact that you'd be looking at them through all of these 
traces of the previous pictures. This is how we live. Every experience that you have, your mind, every experience that your mind has leaves a trace. And those traces build up, and you keep looking at life through the traces, huh? And pretty soon, you don't see reality at all. You just see what? What you've experienced before. <laughs> you huh? understand? You, you're not, huh? You, it, you think you're experiencing reality, but you're not. You're just experiencing the past uh, as it's... Uh, covering up the light that's shining right now, your light. So you feel old, you feel tired, you feel habitual, you feel bored. Exhausted. Exhausted. Yeah. Huh? You feel, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. feel exhausted. You always want something new and fresh. You know that feeling? You always, always, always want something fresh and new. The self is always fresh and always new. Every day is new. People ask me, how, how can you teach this Vedanta? You've been doing it for 50 years. You've been saying the same thing for 50 years. They think, aren't you bored yet? Well, if I was teaching Vedanta, I would be bored. But I'm not teaching Vedanta. I'm the light that shines on the teaching. And Ishwara does the talking. So... Huh? So it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Ishwar is doing all the talking anyway, isn't it? Because the self can't do any talking. Ishwar is doing all the thinking and feeling and talking and actions is creating everything. Yeah. So might as well let Ishwar do it. Not even the boss. You are just there, right? You're not even the boss. Yeah, you don't care. Yeah. Ishwar is the boss. Yeah. Let Ishwar do all the bossing. I just shine, and every second every is fresh because I'm always new. That's not the right word, obviously, because I can't be new. But I'm always fresh, I'm always clean, I'm always pure, I'm always transparent. I don't have things to hide. Uncontaminated. Uncontaminated, right? yeah. yeah, that's a good word. I'm not con uncontaminated by what I experience. Whereas the experiencing medium, huh, it gets contaminated, and you have to keep scrubbing it. That's yoga. We need, huh? If you're a person, you have to keep doing yoga and keep scrubbing the, huh, the contaminated the the medium. Because a human being is three things. Okay. The human being is made up of three things. It's made up of pure, original consciousness. Satyam. Chit. Sat, chit. Anandam. It's absolutely pure. That's it. Huh? And what? And a reflecting medium. What is the reflecting? Where does the reflecting medium come from? Maya. Maya supplies the mirror. A reflection, a reflecting medium. Matter is the mirror. The mirror of matter. That uh, it's predominantly made of sattva guna. 
the subtle body is, is your instrument of knowledge and experience, and it's made out of matter. And it reflects awareness. And then the, what's the third thing? The reflection itself. So you have pure original consciousness, the mirror of matter, and what? And the reflection in the mirror. Now, if you're, if you're looking at yourself through that mirror, through your mind, through your, huh? Are you going to get a clear reflection? No. Only if the mind is clear. But, but the reflected medium is made out of what? Matter is made out of what? Three gunas. Three gunas. That's correct. Matter is made out of three gunas. One of those gunas reflects, and the other two, what? One projects, and the other, other conceals. So one material energy huh, reveals, one projects, and the third conceals. And those three gunas are always uh, rotating in the mind all the time. So when, when, when the concealing energy is, is present, then you're like, huh? uh, 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 Vedanta? Oh, yeah, great. I love Vedanta. It's really cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm the self. <laughs> or Rajaguna. When Rajas, when, it's, when that energy is projecting energy, then what do you do? I want this, I don't want that, what? You're constantly busy and active, your mind's totally disturbed. Huh? It's totally, it just won't shut up. You know that mind that just won't shut up? Can't get to sleep at night because it's going, you try to shut it off and it won't shut off? Then you have so much karma, you have so much desires that what? They're just producing the thoughts that keep you from what? Falling into sleep. And when salt was present, huh? Then you then you get a clear reflection. This is when you get your epiphanies, your experiences of Ishwara. They're pretty amazing. You feel non-dual love. You feel like everything's love. You feel out of body. You feel. Um, you see the light. Yeah, you do. You see the light. Not a physical light, but you see inside, you see the light of consciousness reflecting it. Sometimes it's so intense when your mind is so pure, it just seems to raise you up and lift you beyond the world. And you get this idea, I'm enlightened. Well, you are enlightened. You are in the light, but you're not enlightened. But you could say you're enlightened at that moment. But the problem with getting enlightened is you're going to get in darkened. <laughs> a little later, why? When the Tamaguna comes, the Tamaguna is going to follow the, the Sattvaguna, and then you're going to get in darkened, and then your experience of enlightenment is going to go away, isn't it? And you're going to say, where did it go? And you're going to feel awful because you lost your connection with the self. You were never connected to the self in the first place. 
huh? but you felt connected huh? because Sapraguna was what? It was available for hmm, experience. Whereas the self is not available for experience. The gunas are available for experience. In fact, the gunas are your experience. <coughs> so these three forces are always operating in your mind, and they're what? They're what it is that's interpreting huh, reality for you. So, so, so when Rajas is there, huh, you want a lot of stuff and you blame the world for everything that goes wrong. Blame's the number one. You, you, <laughs> you need to have scapegoat. And so Rajas, huh, it's all your problem, but you never accept it as your problem. You say, my wife this, my father this, my boss this, the, the president this, the economy that, the, you know, whatever, whatever it is. You'll find a convenient something to blame. It's never your problem. And you want the world to be different, huh? Because you think the world is the problem. The world is never the problem. The world is value neutral. The world isn't making any statements about itself. It's just a, a, a dream. But my mind, my, my Rajaguna, is what? Projecting. And what does Tamaguna do? It conceals. It hides things. That's denial. To project, you need to deny. What do you deny? The truth. Hmm? This is why people say there's no God. Because <laughs> their minds are dull. Huh? Their minds are so dull. They're so tamasic. You know, it's not their fault. You can't blame them. An atheist. The mind's so dull, they can't, they don't even get a reflection of the God. They never see the light because they're like, basically their mind is so dull. So whenever things go wrong, what do they do? They blame God. Huh? And then they blame God. Not that they know when a God it is at all. They, they can blame God because... Uh, Rogers and Thomas are always working together. You can't deny unless you project, and you won't project unless you deny. So those two factors are working against you spiritually. <clears throat> whereas Raja, whereas Satvaguna right, reveals what's there because why? Because there's no projections and denial operating there. But there is a problem with Satvaguna. Otherwise, you'd get... Otherwise, you'd stop at sattva, and the self is beyond sattva. So there is a problem with sattva guna. But we need to first get to sattva guna before we solve the sattva guna problem. Right? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right? <laughs> and people think when they have an epiphany, that's when they're sattvic, they think that's self-realization. Both these fallen gurus, all, all these gurus that keep keep crashing and falling, huh? They they when they had an epiphany, their minds were sattvic, and they got uh, an indirect knowledge of God. In other words, they got the indirect knowledge that I am God, that there's no difference between me and God. They had this experience, huh? 
the indirect, that is, because it came through the sattva. And they made a claim, and they were radiant, and they were powerful. They had shakti or energy. They were powerful, and they, they were inspired, and they were beautiful. And they started speaking, huh? and people listened, and what they said, what they said makes sense, and it lifted people up, huh? and people got inspired. They, oh, my God, and, and they started following these gurus around, listening to what they say, and they all got together and made little groups of people, and all oh, they bought places in the country and big things, and they lived together, and they did all this stuff, so forth and so on. And in the meantime, the guru, what happened? His sattva, because he got so involved in all the activities, his sattva, what, started to decline. His mind got tamasic. He got cut, he or she got, usually it's the men, but often the women too, the mind got huh, got dull, and and the experience disappeared. And now all he's got is a memory of an experience that he had before that he's running on, and he starts behaving according to the tamaguna, according to the rajaguna. He becomes greedy. He becomes power hungry. Hmm? He becomes tricky. Hmm? Why? Because those gunas are now what the Thomas and Rogers are controlling him, not the Sattva guna anymore. <coughs> Understand? And then, then he starts breaking Dharma. Because when your Rajas and Thomas are great, then you start breaking Dharma. Then you start abusing your disciples. You start insulting them. You start manipulating them. You control them. You tell them all kinds of things that are not true. Huh? To keep them there, because when you're tamasic and rajasic, you're, you feel empty, you feel incomplete, and you need to have those people to justify your existence. If they all go away, who are you? Huh? If everybody walks away, who are you? You see? In our tradition, we're happy to go away. <laughs> you're going to stay here, it's great. If you go, it's great, because we're not affected by you at all. We don't care. Understand? I got a life. If you guys are not sitting here, believe me, I'll be having fun somewhere else. <laughs> I'm really having fun talking to you. It's true. It's great. And you're a lovely group of people. But if you don't like it and you go out, I, I'm not going to go weeping. And, oh, there's something wrong with me. Oh, I said something wrong. Oh, my God, I must not be a good teacher. Oh, horrible. What if, how have I gone wrong? Now, believe me, I will not have that. That thought will not even come into my mind. I'll just sit there and I'll think, oh, empty room. What should I do now? I think I'll go have a dinner. <laughs> <laughs> or where's the internet? And I'll go off on the internet. Because what? Because I'm awareness. So I'm always good. Whether the presence of things doesn't make me good, the absence of things doesn't make me bad. So, huh? so, so this this problem is what these this mind these three gunas are doing the interpretation for you, and this teaching comes from beyond those three gunas. So you're getting a clear look 
at, at, at your mind and at the world. The world is nothing but the gunas, and your mind is nothing but the gunas. So you're getting clear knowledge outside of the picture, outside of the box. You want it, huh? Remember I said last night, there's no solution in the box, in the maya. It's a zero sum. Hmm? For every gain, there's a loss, and for every loss, there's a gain. So you never get out. The only way is to, like, look at it from a different point of view. So the big picture, we're working through it now here before we enter the text, because then the text is going to make good sense for you. In the sec, we talked about karma yoga a little bit in the last session, remember? I've been explaining to you what God is. I said everything is God, and God's what? God's the creator of the universe, and God's the laws that are operating in the universe. Just like that. That, so I jumped up to Karma Yoga. We're going to back up a little bit and go back to the personal deity. Now, we said that that these stages are, this isn't even a stage. This is It shouldn't even be considered informal devotion because although you could call devotion to money, sex, and power, you could call that devotion. But it's not really devotion. We use the word devotion when what? It's directed towards something higher than my own desires. Unless it's the desire to know God. That's all. So anyway, now at this stage, this this is the we said this was a personal deity. This is your your we call it an Ishta Devata. You may have heard of that if you're in the yoga world. Now, what's the advantage of having a personal deity? Most of us don't have, Westerners don't have it, because I, the reason I said was because religion is, got pers- is, is basically about personal deities. Uh, Jesus and Allah and Krishna and I don't know who else. There's plenty of other ones. And uh, uh, the reason we've... we've discarded God is because of the, the all the awful things that have gone on in God's name, all the suffering and pain and misery. Look at the Catholic Church, the abuse of these young people, these children in church. It makes you just want to shoot God and shoot the Pope and shoot the priest, doesn't it? I mean, really. I mean, that's unconscionable. You, you, just, you just say, you know, what's religion? If this is religion... If these are godly people, and they're, and they're abusing young people, young children, huh? Get, huh? That's the, the worst violation of dharma you can do. <coughs> is to what? I mean, injure uh, a young, a child. Huh? It's the worst thing you can do. Injuring anything's bad, but injuring a child. So, so what do you say? Oh, that hell with hell with God. God allows that to happen. No, God doesn't allow that to happen. God's the what, the purity and the beauty of the child. <laughs> so God's still there. Understand. So it, and in this so in this in this personal deity yeah, is extremely valuable. Why? You have to understand this clearly. 
So you don't want to look down on really religious people, on people who are religious. Because huh? most of the people in religion are good people. Understand. And, and that, that love of their God huh, is, is what's keeping them good. In fact, they've discovered, the, the psychologists have done studies, and they still know that people who have a, a, a belief, a strong belief in God, are more psychologically uh, stable than the general population. In other words, the people who don't. So, but, but why is it that you would use this kind of a deity, that you would want this kind of a deity? Because if you look at look at your life, your primary love environment is what? Family. Isn't it? When you come here, you're born into a family with a mother and a father, hopefully. <laughs> well, they'll probably make them out of test tubes before long, but even then, you know, if even if your baby comes out, you know, of a test tube, he's gonna have a mom and a pop. So your primary love, caregivers and love givers are what? Are your family, your mother and your father. Usually first your mother and then your father, but both. Both are necessary. Huh? And then your brothers and sisters and your uncles and aunts and your grandparents and your relatives and so forth and so on. You have an extended family. You, you, you know, you're at the center of a web of love relationships, isn't it? Fair enough, but downside. What's the downside? Everybody, the, all your family members know what's best for you, don't they? Huh? Isn't that right? Don't they, huh? Mama knows best. Huh? Papa knows best. Uncle knows best. Aunt knows best. Brother knows best. Sister knows best. Everybody in your family uh, feels empowered because they love you to criticize you. Is that right? It's always the weirdest thing, you know. It's such a strange thing to me that people will, will treat each other badly in a family. They'll yell at each other, they'll scream at each other, they'll, they'll, they'll do all kinds of unpleasant things to each other. But as soon as they walk on the street, they'll smile and, and shake hands with the, you know, whoever they meet on the street and treat them very nicely. Now, now, wouldn't it make sense that the people who live with you treat very nicely and when you go out on the street, you, you get in fights with everybody? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be more sensible? Because at least you don't have to live with those people on the street. But if you come home, you have to spend hours and hours, you know, you have to spend a huge fraction of your life with people who are constantly nagging you, judging you, saying, what's wrong with you? Why did you do this? Second-guessing everything you do. And they all, and how do they justify their statements? I'm doing this all for you. <laughs> huh? This is all for your own good. Did you ever read that Alice Miller's analysis of Hitler, Hitler's childhood? You Germans? Oh, what's wrong with you guys? I'm a horror. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's wrong. 
It's, it's called. <laughs> oh, I can't get you, can I? No, it, and it's called for your own good. And the idea there is that you, the, this ignorance, this suffering, this abuse is what is handed down from one generation to another by your core family, huh? And and the way they sell it, they need to sell it to you. Because huh? it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to be abused and criticized by people you love. Huh? They sell this. I, I, this is for your own good. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Isn't that what your dad tells you before he spanks you? Huh? Yeah, he does. There's a very good film uh, uh, came out about Jesus and six or eight years ago. It was called The White Band by Stefan. And it, uh, you were supposed when you were um, in the early 20th century or in the crossing 19th, 18th, uh, 20th century, when, for instance, you were masturbating as a boy yeah. and they would, uh, they would catch you, you would have to, you know, you would say, yeah, I did this and this and that. And then you would have to wear a band, a white band. for a week. For instance, let's say, and it's just it's also just shows the, the education. How yeah, people were kind that's of, very interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Huh. So, huh. So, and and th and this is where you get your idea of yourself from your family. When you come in as a baby, they all pinch you and love you and kiss you. They don't start telling you there's anything wrong. Huh until you start behaving in such a way that, that disturbs their prejudices. And then they start, what? no, don't do that. Bad boy, bad girl. Huh? Like that. They start disciplining you. They, they take food away from you. They, 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 they say you can't play. They, huh? Et cetera. You know all these tricks. Everybody knows all these tricks. Huh? And they tell you, this I, I'm not doing this for me, this is for you. And in a way it is, because they know the society, that you're going to go into the society, and if you don't know what the society wants, in other words, you don't jump all the little hoops, like, you know, a good little boy and little girl, you don't jump through all the hoops, huh? you're going to get whacked by the society. So they want you to be not a people, but a sheeple. <laughs> right? They want a sheeple. They just want you to say yes, sir, no, sir, this and that, and that, and do the right thing. Right thing isn't necessarily the right thing for you. And then they tell you on top of it, what do they tell you? What are you going to be when you grow up? Now, what's the subtext of that statement? Well, how would a, a child hear that? You're not good enough. You're wrong. You're yeah, you're not you're not good enough something. now. You need to be something like this, and then you're going to be okay. Because they want you to be somebody, huh? So that the, you take care of yourself, because they're getting sick and tired of taking care of you. So, huh? so they want you out and married and distracted and got lots of money and, and, and all, all set up so that they're free of you because it's a pain in the ass looking after you. That's so true. Huh? <laughs> so, huh? So, people learn 
that there's there's a place they can go huh in their minds where there's something there that's listening to them without judging they feel the presence of awareness and they know it's a kind light they know it's a non-judgmental light and they give it a name whatever it is and that becomes their personal God and they can express themselves honestly transparently they can say what they really feel and what they really think and they can like work out their issues in the presence in the silent awareness of that personal deity dead gurus dead gurus are the best <laughs> you don't want a living guru dead gurus are really good you know why because they never tell you anything that you don't want to hear <laughs> yeah huh? Huh? Ramana Maharshi how many people love to have Ramana as a guru everybody at one time everybody's claiming Ramana I don't know if it's still true probably is there's probably a lot of people who say Ramana is my guru I said but, but Ramana is dead and gone what good does that do no he's my guru he's there and what what is now? I say, well, they'll tell me this and that, and I'll say, well, uh, that doesn't make sense. I say, yeah, it does. That's what Ramana says. Even though you can read Ramana's bo books, and Ramana's books say that doesn't make sense, they don't read Ramana's books. <laughs> they don't. Huh? <laughs> they only read the books about Ramana by other people who want dead gurus. Because the books about Ramana are very clear what the self is and what the jiva is and what's true and what isn't true. It's all laid out very clearly there, but they don't even read those books. I published two of them because just to give some kind of help to the, the Ramana people who realize that this, the, the dead guru thing isn't working. So I lived there in Tiruvannamalai for 20 years, almost, yeah, almost 20, from 90, yeah, about 20 years. And, uh, and I would see them, and they'd be exactly the same after 20 years. They'd just be older. <laughs> That's all. Their whole thinking, their whole habit, everything was exactly the same after 20 years. There was no growth whatsoever. Because hmm? they had a dead guru. Now, if you have a living guru, you're going to grow. And, and, and the living guru will not, will what? will be very clear, help you, very, very helpful, and they'll point out, no, you see, you're looking at it incorrectly. <coughs> Scripture says this, and you're thinking of it like that, and, uh, and so why don't you contemplate a little more on what the Scripture says and get your thinking in line with that, and then you're gonna, your problem's going to go away. That's, that's how Vedanta works. We don't tell you what to do, we just, just remind you of what the Lord's words are, and then, then it's up to you whether you want to follow those words or not. You're not following the guru, you're following the Lord. You're following the teaching, the teaching, the scripture. So you're, you're, you're protected. The scripture is your greatest protection. The word scripture in India means is called Shastra, and a Shastra means a weapon. Isn't that funny? 
That's your weapon. What does it do? It's the weapon that protects you against what? Ignorance. Against Adharma. It's called the Dharma Shastra. It's a scripture, a weapon that what? Protects you against what? Wrong thinking. Negative feeling. And injurious actions. So, at this level, huh, because you're transparent, it's a cathartic level. You, you, you work out your stuff because nobody's judging you. And the beauty of this is that you can worship any God in any way you want to. There's no rules. It's all up to you. It's, it's a legitimate use of your free will. You can choose the deity, you, you can choose to worship whatever you want, you can change deities if you like, and you can worship them any way that you want. It's up to you. If you want to, you know, get a cat of nine tails and, and, and beat yourself and be a penitent in the name of God, you can do that. Climb, you know, walk on... You know, you've seen them. I don't know. In Europe, they don't have it anymore. But in India, once in a while, you see these people. It's up to you. There's no rules there. In Spain, you know. Huh? In Spain, actually, in some areas. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bavaria, too. Is it? Yeah. To carry the cross or something else on a big, um, when you go around the villages and pray. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They're in the name of Jesus, right? Yeah, they're Catholics in the name of Jesus. They could, so that's fine. It gives you a certain kind of satisfaction. Uh, it 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 purifies you. It's called penance. You're atoning for your sins. You're doing something good, but because you've been doing a lot of bad things, you're doing something good. You're developing a sattva vasana huh, that's going to what crowd out your tamas, tamasic rajasic vasana. So it's a good. It's fine. But here, you really don't know who God is. What you've done is you've brought God down to your level. Whereas Vedanta, we lift you up to God's level. Understand? We're not, we don't bring God, we say, you know, if you can't, if you're not ready to go up to God's level, in other words, understand that there is, that you and God are non-separate, Jivo Brahmevana Paraha, that's what you and God are non-separate means. Huh? If, you're, if you're not ready for that, then we say, okay, bring God down to your level and I relate to God on your level. It's fair enough. Because eventually, huh, you'll what you'll start to become a little curious about God and you'll still have problems. Understand? People who huh? Because this is an emotional thing. It's a personal and emotional thing. And even though these people have a certain kind of shanti, a certain kind of peace, and a certain kind of confidence, they have problems. Hmm? You, you talk to them. They've all got their problems. They're samsaris. That's the way it is. It's fine. It's no problem. Now, when you... now. So this is the second stage, personal deity. I love my personal God. If you don't have it, don't worry about it. It's good if you can. 
And if you don't need it, you don't need it. We're, we basically assume that you're ready for karma yoga. So we're, we consider this is the beginning stage. Now what's karma yoga? Karma yoga is love of Ishwara. See there, the heart, Ishwara, love of God. 